Business success usually comes to those who are too busy to be looking for it. Join RVK for the award-winning RV on Business Show every Tuesday at 12 midday. It's not about thinking out of the box. There is no box. Only on 101.9 High FM. Welcome to 101.9 High FM. It's exactly 10 minutes past 12. Thank you once again for joining us. South Africa has definitely had its fair share of challenges. Gauteng, where High FM is housed, is definitely one of those places. But yet we all tend to look down south. I'm not talking about the south of Joburg. I'm talking about the south of the country, the Western Cape, as some sort of utopia in many, many ways. A well-run government, great infrastructure, better than average maintenance when it comes to infrastructure in South Africa. And together with that, a lot of people are moving to the Western Cape. So you've got some immigration people moving from other parts of the country down there. And then you've got people moving from all over the world for the incredible natural beauty, the great lifestyle. And as I said earlier, the better than average infrastructure system that the Western Cape has over the rest of the country. And that creates a huge opportunity for certain companies. And there is no doubt that there are many, many people who are really taking advantage of them. And one of them is a company called Urban Growth Property Group. And today I'm quite excited to welcome Jamie McKenzie, who's a business development manager for Urban Growth to the show. Jamie, welcome to Chai FM. Avi, what a pleasure. Thanks very much. Uh, thanks for having me. I will say um, Cape Town is a wonderful place, but the best people still live in Joburg. Okay, well, I'll take that. Thank you very much. Um, yeah, I didn't expect that one, but thanks for uh, for mentioning that. Jamie, let's jump straight into it because um, I'm sitting here broadcasting this show from Israel. The weather is very inclement. There's a lot of thunder which creates a lot of disturbance on the line. And I really just want to get through quite a bit with the show. Let's start at the very beginning. Urban growth property saw a niche in the market in mainly commercial property. How did they start? What was the catalyst for getting into it? I think, um, you know, from the beginning, at the end of the day, the, um, you know, the team has got, um, a few decades worth of experience, um, in the property, in the property world. You know, the, they come from the, the old mutual stable. So, you know, properties in their blood. Um, and you know, at any stage during a, a, a person's career, particularly in corporate, it's time for, for you to back yourself and to try and make it work on your own, which is what the team did. Um, you know, they then took those skills into the private sector to try build something for themselves. Um, you know, and that's where, where we found ourselves today. So, uh, you know, they cashed in all of their chips, um, they backed their skill sets, um, and they jumped into a, into a niche market, um, that is industrial property in the Western Cape. Um, and, and that's where we find ourselves today, a portfolio that we're very excited about. You know, Jamie, it was just a scenario of a perfect storm where you guys chose the Western Cape and then everything sort of came together? Or was that well thought out that this is the geographic location that you wanted to sink roots into? I think it's a combination of things, Avi. Um, you know, obviously in terms of of the skill sets within the team and within the company, you know, it was looked at um 
uh, sort of forward thinking in terms of, of what was going to happen, particularly from a governance point of view, um, especially around service delivery and around property. So, so a part of that was thought out. Um, but with anything in life, any entrepreneurial, um, endeavor, there's always going to be a bit of luck meeting the right people at the right time. Um, so there were, there were a combination of factors that have gone into, to putting together, um, the, the portfolio that we have to date. Um, so yeah, you can never do anything by yourself and it never takes just one thing. Um, it's always a few things that need to fall into place. So I think a combination of things. You know, Jamie, one thing that I've seen a lot in the press release is this idea about being self-sufficient when it comes to energy. Um, you know, this is a conversation that we wouldn't have had a couple of years ago. It wasn't an item that ever sat on the balance sheet. In fact, uh, you know, it wasn't something that we really even worried about. How have you guys gone from having not to worry about power supply to having a portfolio of properties that are self-sufficient, have a low carbon footprint, and yet are able to generate enough power for your tenants to be happy to sign long-term leases. But there, you've said at the end, so that hits the nail on the head. So, I mean, that's uh, at the forefront of what we're doing is to look after our tenants. Um, and, you know, the, the bigger picture behind that is that, you know, we, we believe in, in South Africa. We believe in what we're doing. We still believe um, that we've got the best lifestyle that a person can have around the world. And I think that, you know, there are certain challenges that come along with that to make it work in South Africa. And one of those things is power. And, you know, I think that we've taken the initiative now for the last couple of years already to take all of our properties off grid, um, to not be reliant on anyone else but ourselves. Uh, because I think if you are going to make it work, you know, you've got to take, you've got to take control and you've got to take control of that situation. Um, and to just stay one step ahead. And I think that if you, number one, keeping your tenants happy, and if it makes now commercial sense at the same time, um, you know, that's a win-win for everyone. When it comes to putting that, that system in, that obviously costs huge capex to put it in. Um, are tenants carrying the, the bill for that? Are you passing that expense on or are you just amortizing it over the, you know, the property's lifetime? So the, 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 the beautiful thing about it currently is that, you know, there are our, our service providers from a finance point of view are Investec, Private Bank and Nedbank. Um, and they are two institutions that have really come to the party in terms of supporting, um, the green initiative and supporting us in our endeavors with solar on the properties. Um, so that's been a huge help. Then on the back of it, you know, the, we do have shareholders behind the portfolio that have got the ability to install these systems up front. Um, and then that's a negotiation and that then takes place between us and the tenants going forward. You know, we want them to be happy. We want them to be in their long term, you know, because that's where the value of the buildings come from. Um, so, you know, we've, we've got support from, from various pillars inside of the, of the group. Um, but yeah, very thankful that the private banks in South Africa are coming to the party, supporting their clients. Um, you know, and, and, and helping us move this thing forward because that's what it's all about. Jamie, if one had to look at your, a cross section of your portfolio, and um, we know it's, it's commercial property. Give us a taste as to the type of properties that you have and the type of areas that you're servicing. So we've exclusively gone after a grade A industrial portfolio. Uh, we believe in terms of an asset class, particularly in South Africa, it has been, um, the most robust, um, property asset class around. You know, I was still working inside of a private bank during COVID. So I saw firsthand what happened with that black swan event. 
you know, and industrial property was largely unaffected. It's, it's extremely robust. Um, it's very hardy. It's, it's one of those asset classes that I think will, will be the last to be affected by anything like that, which was, which is important for us. And in terms of, um, our areas, you know, we, we are limiting ourselves for now in terms of the investment mandate to be Western Cape only because of the service delivery currently. So yeah, those are, those are our markers and that's what we've identified in the market. Um, so if we can at the end of this, um, build an industrial grade, a off grid portfolio, you know, I think that'll be the only one of its kind in the country. So it's something we're very excited about. You know, Jamie, just before we run to the break, something that I just want to start now and we'll discuss it a little bit afterwards. The, the issue, and I see is one or two callers who presented that also is security and maintenance of security at your sites a major cost that one would wish one could strip out. You know, um, you know, if I look around here where I live here in Israel, security is an issue, but it's not overtly in your face all the time. Like every sort of industrial properties, um, complex that you go to in South, in South, in South Africa. How does one manage it and how does one keep that cost under control? So in terms of that, obviously within our mandate and our portfolio, all of our leases are triple net. So all of those expenses are borne by the tenant. Um, but in terms of the security, you know, we're very selective in the buildings that we purchase. Um, invariably to be a grade A property, you need to be in a certain area, uh, where your let- letability and saleability is extremely high. So that generally means, you know, you're in a large industrial park, uh, which is highly secure. You're on a, a main arterial road. Um, so we're not generally purchasing properties in areas where security is an issue, have you? Okay, Jamie, we need to take a quick break. But when we come back, there's a caller who's just sent through a message to say, maybe this is the problem. If companies like the one you are interviewing would invest in areas that are going to seed, one would be able to keep the urban decay at bay. Let's take a quick break. And when we come back, let's discuss that concept for a moment. We'll be back with you in a moment. This is RV on Business. Welcome back to 101.9 High FM. I'm interviewing Jamie McKenzie, who's the Business Development Manager at Urban Growth Properties. Jamie, just before we went to the break, someone snuck in with a quite a cheeky question. Um, sure. Basically saying, you know, this is maybe the challenge, is that if we could look at areas that are going to seed simply because no one wants to invest in them, if big investment was made there, then they could turn them around. And I'm talking and looking and thinking about maybe the Mabonangs of Johannesburg and the suburb of London and different areas like that. But we know that a lot of these areas have a very dubious track record. They start off with a, a big bang, but they're very, very difficult to maintain the level of service delivery that one would come to expect. What's your thought on investing in areas that are under risk? So, I mean, look, that's a very, very layered and complicated question. Um, I think from my point of view, without sounding too political, um, is that, you know, I think you've got to go down to the base level of it. Um, you know, I think in terms of when we talk about investment at the end of the day, our model is we have our clients and, you know, the, the first point of call is, is, is how is that area run, service delivery, um, running water, running lights, roads, you know, what's going on from a, from a, let's say a municipality point of view. 
Then one step up from that, you know, are the banks then, um, you know, standing up and stepping in to say, yes, they want to support um, a, a, an upliftment of an area. They're willing to grant finance because none of this really works unless we can get the bank finance. So you can't really have the one without the other. Um, and I think that, you know, over and above that, then you've got clients that are going to want to invest. But you need all of these things, I think, to all work together. So I think if you can find a situation where you've got a well-run municipality, you know, you start on the, on the base level, then you've got big in financial institutions that are willing to to step in and to assist, to uplift, uh, you know, then I think the rest of it takes care of itself. Um, but in terms of individual investors going in and wanting to to uplift and wanting to invest in certain high-risk areas, it's very difficult for them to do them do that by themselves. You know, they can't get in there and fix the roads. They can't get in there and fix the infrastructure. So I think that's, you know, that's going to be a three-tiered approach. Not to say that you can't get it right, um, but yeah, that's that's the challenge I think that that we all faced with currently. Um, and I think that if we can just get the governance right in some of those things, um, yeah, I, I, like I said, I believe in what we're doing. I believe um, that there are some incredible things happening in South Africa. And if we can get some of those small things right, then then absolutely. Um, but yeah, that's that is a tough one. So Jamie, um, another question that's come through it comes from a guy called Boitamong. He wants to know how important is it to have a good working relationship with the municipal managers in the area where your properties are invested. So I think in terms of a direct relationship, you know, we wouldn't have a direct relationship with who's running the actual municipality. But again, that speaks back to our mandate in terms of what's happening in our area, which is the Western Cape. And, you know, where we are currently, everything is just working and it's, it's, it's going over like clockwork. So we, we don't have too many complaints in that department. But again, um, our mandate is to be uh, as little, as less reliant on the municipality as possible. So we're trying to go off grid with electricity and with water. Um, we want to, wanting to be self sufficient because we just believe that you should take the power back as much as you can. Jamie, um, we are up against the clock, but one thing I do want to ask you before you go, um, did you move down from Joburg down to Cape Town in the last couple of years? I did, yes, about seven years ago. Okay. So, again, I suppose that's what people, you, you alluded to it before. What are the main drivers of this immigration of people moving down to, to Cape Town? We know that the infrastructure is good, things are good, but ultimately there's limited space it's a it's a place where the you've got a massive mountain in the middle of the area where people want to live. Um, if you want to live further out, you've got logistical issues of traveling up and down. But you guys are at the forefront of people coming down and having properties that help to be nodes in, in that area. What, what are people looking for when they come down to the Western Cape? I think one of the big things, um, look, I mean, my personal circumstance, um, I was absolutely in love with Joburg. I spent 12 years working in Santon. Um, I moved for an opportunity to, to develop myself. So mine, mine actually wasn't for Cape Town per se. Uh, it was more around the opportunity, but to your, to your question, you know, for me, it's the big one is the schools. Um, um, Cape Town has got a wonderful group of Model C schooling, which is both affordable and of a very high standard, which helps. Um, you've got an incredible um, outlay uh, in terms of activity from the beach to the mountain to 
um, you know, whatever nature activity you can think of, which is, which is a huge plus, especially if you have a, a young family. Uh, and then you're looking at service delivery, um, you know, from public transport all the way to simple things around just filling, you know, potholes, um, running water, working electricity. You know, you've got one or two stages of load shedding that we saved from down there from governance. Um, and I think all of those things together, just that, that it does make it appealing, you know, in terms of a, of a standard of living. And for you know, people in South Africa work really hard, you know, and they, they just, they deserve service delivery. That's exactly, that's exactly it. And I think that's what people are really looking for. And I suppose that's a, a lot of the, the frustration, um, up further north in the country. Jamie, before I let you go, if you, without giving us, uh, the latest board meeting discussion, but just give us an insight as to where you guys are looking to expand, where you're looking for opportunities. Where do you see growth coming from in your sector in the market? So in our, our sector, we're, we are 100% laser focused on, on industrial property. You know, that's the, that's the, um, the portfolio that we built. Um, that's where we are looking to acquire investors. Um, so for us, you know, that's, that's the be all and end all of, of what urban growth does. Um, you know, it's just around industrial grade A property. Um, but in terms of, of everything else, I think there's growth all over South Africa. I think that we've got such an incredible, uh, population. We've got, we've got some of the most hardworking, resilient people around. And, you know, every meeting that I have with different clients on a daily basis, some of the most fascinating entrepreneurs that you've ever met in your life. There's every single person with a different story and a different idea. And I think there's opportunity everywhere in this country. I must be honest with you, Avi. Great. Jamie, well, thank you so much for making the time. Thank you so much for, you know, just giving us a, a sense of hope and a sense that there's so much opportunity and literally a country brimming with opportunity and one really just needs to stay focused um, as you say, laser focused on your ideal. And if one does that, you know, then there's, there's definitely opportunity. And also just the conversation between the interaction between your company and the banks, your company and the municipalities. It's all about getting those different facets all working together in order to produce a holistic product that is sustainable and is financially viable going forward. Jamie, thanks 100%. so much. For Thanks so much for having me. If we all get on the same page, we can make it work, Avi. Absolutely. Great. Thank you so much. Okay. Have a good one. Great. That was Jamie McKenzie. He's the business development manager at Ehrman Growth Properties. Um, and just before I sign off, I just want to give you a little bit of a feedback as to what's happening here on the ground. I, I know we kept the show, you know, Israel focused for the last while and now we're starting to go back to different business areas in South Africa. Just a practical outcome of what we're seeing here in Israel is that if one has to go out in the evening, one will see that the restaurants are full, the highways are busy, things are happening. And we went out the other night and almost turned around to each other with this look of guilt to say, what right do we have to go out to eat when there's a war on and people are suffering on the, on the front lines. And the answer to that is not only do you have a right to go out, you almost have an obligation to go out. Because just as we are able to secure an income by running our businesses, the business owners that are the restaurants, the landlords, the staff in the restaurants, the suppliers to the restaurants need to be kept in business. 
It's a mutually exclusive ecosystem where one relies on the other. And by going out, one doesn't mean that one is negating the, se- the severity of what's going on. It simply means that one is trying to keep normality running at the same time as understanding exactly what's going on in the front. And one will see lots of soldiers around. One will see um, beautiful scenarios that I happened to see yesterday with a very high-ranking soldier walking through Jerusalem, holding his little hands, little son's hand, um, running an errand or whatever they were doing together. Just the sense that we don't want to be at war, that this was brought upon us, and we are absolutely determined to finish it and to ensure that the danger is removed from the front of us. But the concept of because there's the war, you don't leave your house, you cower down, is not the Israeli way, and it's certainly not the Jewish way. We go out with a sense of purpose, a sense of pride, and a sense of dignity. And we conduct ourselves the way we always have. And again, I make reference to the Chief Rabbi, Rabbi Warren Goldstein's um, podcast that he put out about two weeks ago. If you listen to it, the sense of purpose, the clear thought out way of doing things, but the absolute lack of hate speech, finger pointing in a way that is derogatory and demeaning, but a way that is clear and purposeful. And that's what we need to do. We need to go out with the sense of we need to do what we need to do in order to make sure that the Israeli economy continues. As a good friend said to me the other day, you know, I just we were chatting, and he said his boss turned around to him and said, our job right now during the war, those of us who are not fighting, who are not in the army, is to ensure that when our colleagues come back from the army, from the war, they have jobs. So it's now time to put your shoulder to the wheel, do more than one person's function, make sure that there's sustainable maintenance going on, that when people come back, they can slot back into where they left off and they continue. To put things in stark reality, I was speaking to a youngster the other day who was allowed to go home from the army for the first time. He walked into his apartment and he looked at his dining room table and on the dining room table was a lulav and an etrog and the hat that he wears on Shabbat and Chagim. And he said it was an absolute eye-opener. What was the lulav and etrog doing on his table? And then he realized it was on Simchat Torah that he left home and has not been back since. See, so he had obviously put it there before Shabbat and was participating in the celebrations and he came back five weeks later and found it lying on the table. And that's just the stark reality of what's happening here. Hundreds of people are volunteering every day in agriculture, going out and helping. Simple things like harvesting. Simple things like packing boxes. Simple things like making sure that the goods go from the farmer to the truck, to the store, so that we as consumers can benefit from it. Those things have all been, um, you know, severed because so much of the labor that Israel used comes from Thailand. When the war started, a lot of them went back home, which is understandable. No one wants to war- work in a war zone. But the people of Israel have come, through, have come through, come through. And just as we saw in the Second World War, the people that are doing the work are those people 
who might not ordinarily be doing heavy agricultural work. And yeah, I'm talking about the ladies. Ladies here, so many of them take the kids to school if they're not working and then go and help to make sure that agricultural sector goes on. Guys after work go and do whatever they can to make sure that they can add and make sure things work. The security in every city is run by the citizens, controlled by the police, run by the citizens, so that everybody's participating. My apologies about having to end early. That's just the state of what's going on here in Israel. Craig, thank you so much for pushing the buttons. Thank you, everybody, for listening. We will be with you next week.